So today, I want to talk to you about a message that I've been holding for about a year, and I actually preached it in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, at a church there about a year ago, and I have been kind of sitting on this thing for a while, and I thought, you know what, I think this is the time to share this. So, now, we'll have kids in the room, so you guys hang tight with me, and we'll, 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 we'll try our best to, to stay focused on the Word today. The, the kids never bother me during the preaching, so y'all don't feel weird about kids making noise. It don't bother me at all. I have two of them. I'm used to it at this point. I remember back in the day before I ever had kids, I thought I couldn't even preach if a kid was making noise. Now I'm like, I can do anything because of a child now, right? It's the way it goes. You know, Psalm 23 is one of the psalms that we have known most of our life. It's, it's hanging on many of our walls, or, or at least we grew up with it hanging on our wall. I know my grandmother had it on her wall. But there's two verses that I've always wondered, how does that apply to my everyday life? And so today I want to talk to you about what to do with your enemies. What to do with your enemies. What do I do with my enemies? Let's go to Psalm chapter 23. We're going to read two verses, verse 5 and 6. The psalmist David said, You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, we were going to name our children goodness and mercy. But we were afraid they would follow us all the days of our life. <laughs> That's bad. It's funny, though. It's funny, though. I heard Jensen Franklin say that years ago, and I've been, always been wanting to use that, but I've never really preached from this one passage. So I thought, yes, yeah, terrible. And it's funny stuff. Well, today, we're going to talk about what do we do with our enemies. Can we pray together? So, Holy Spirit, I want to ask you to help me preach today. Help me preach with clarity, help me preach with humor. Help me preach in a way that bolsters people's faith. And I pray today that our ears would be open to hear everything you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, before I was ever born again, before you was ever born again, it was really okay in the terms of the world to hate your enemy. In fact, in some ways, it was kind of expected that if you had an enemy, that you were going to hate them and you're going to let them know that you hate them. This is just how the world system works. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, right? You do this to me, I'm going to get back at you and do this. This is the way the world works. And this is what sin really required of us. Sin requires that we return evil for evil. This is the way life works, right? It's what our flesh desires from us. But it seems that after a person is born again, meaning if you're new to that term, meaning uh, that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're trying to live a life for Him, there's something happens after you accept Him and it's no longer acceptable or even permissible to hate anybody, mainly an enemy. Let me give you an example. But see, before a man gets saved, he has certain passions and desires that are really no issue at all at least not for the man, but after he is introduced to Jesus, he then realizes, I must put away childish things. And if I'm honest with you, uh, the putting away of childish things really is a daily decision for some of us, right? It's choosing to do what is right rather than what is convenient. Because after we're born again, something is required of us more than what was before. 
You know, when people, when people start bashing people on socials because people are acting like heathens, you kind of go, well, that's what sinners do. They sin. Why do we expect them to behave as though... Because I know believers that absolutely still act as though they are back yonder. Amen? Sometimes Rich does that. And uh, I'm just joking. I was about to say me. <laughs> no, sometimes I still... Why? Because that old nature wants to rise up in us, right? That old man wants to rise back up. So... I understand that when I'm born again, things change. My mindset changes, or it should change over a period of time. Because how many knows, just because you're saved on Sunday doesn't mean you act like it on Monday. Right, right. There's a process of sanctification that we go through. But if there's one area that I've never really heard a lot of great preaching on, and I'm not sure this is going to be great preaching, but we're going to take a stab at it, is the idea of what do I do with my enemies? How do I treat them? And yes, it's more than praying for them. And it's more than blessing them. In fact, it's a whole lot more. Jesus has this way throughout the New Testament of raising the bar. Can somebody say amen? Let me give you an example. Uh, he said, it is written, meaning in the law, you shall not commit adultery. He said, but I tell you, if you look upon a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery. Now, that's raising the bar, right? That's why he says now, grace abounds. Why? Because without grace, I can never attain that. Thank God for his grace that covers us. And grace fills the gap of who I am as opposed to who God needs me to be. Grace fills the gap. So, we're going to talk about what to do with our enemies, especially, and here's the kicker, especially the ones we have created. You see, if we're really honest with ourselves and with one another, Rarely do you and I have a spontaneous enemy. Does that make sense? Rarely do we have a spontaneous enemy. Enemies rarely show up out of nowhere. In fact, I want to be honest with you today and tell you and let you know that uh, I don't have one enemy in my life that I did not help create. I don't have one. For years, I was very happy to know that I didn't have any known enemies. But several years ago, six, seven years ago, I made some decisions in my life that hurt a lot of people, and I created enemies with my decisions. I wounded people in the process of a selfish decision, and I created enemies. And I've taken the last six, five, six, seven years, whatever it is now, to figure out what do I do with the enemies that I have created. And that's why I've never shared this message until now. I just feel like it was the pertinent time, the right time to talk about this. See, those enemies that I created are generally the ones we hate the most. Are y'all with me this morning? It's awful quiet in here today. Y'all know how I am. I like a little bit of talk back. Yeah. Amen or oh me, either one works. You see, but whether you created an enemy or an enemy happened to you, I want to share a few things about your enemies that you need to know in order to move forward. I'm going to share a few things and then I'll get to more of the, con more of the text. Number one, your enemies do not care about who you've become. 
I, and it'll get good. I'm telling you, we're going somewhere. I've been working on this. If I can't get this one right after a year, we in trouble, right? <laughs> he, they do not care who you've become. In fact, your enemies will lay in wait for your new life in order that they may show up and disrupt and divide the new thing. This is how enemies work. Enemies will remain silent like a tiger crouching, waiting for the right opportunity to pounce. Even the ones you've created. Now, you've got to, because you've got to understand, we're going to figure out what to do with these enemies in just a little bit, but we still got to unpack their thinking, the mindset. Okay? Number two, your enemies want you to repent for who they see you to be. They want you to repent for, they, for the, who they see you to be, not who you are now. See, your enemy loves the person you were when they became your enemy. They can't stand the fact that you have moved somewhere different in life. Now, so better stated, and I, I should stick to my notes because I'll get way ahead. Better stated, your enemies want you to repent for who you used to be in their lives. So if you were the offender in their life then, they want you to remain the offender now so they can validate while you, why you are still their enemy. Number four, you can always spot an enemy by how busy they are dividing. The next thing, the reason, and I'm going to use this word hater because it's a social media term, right? The reason you have haters is because you changed while they played. You changed while they stayed in drama. You changed while they stayed in mess. Y'all please hear this. You have healed from the life they still hold. You see, when you have an enemy, even if you have created that enemy, they will get stuck in a mental trap. And this is why... It's bitterness, it's this poison that just takes our lives and sucks the life out of us when we hate, when we have bad things going on in our heart, when we are holding bitterness, it's poison in us. And so what we do is we take the people that we hate, we take the people that we are bitter toward, and we hold that person in our mind and say, this is who they are, then this is who they will always be. And the truth is they have already moved on to the next great thing in life. And so how many knows we end up being the prisoner of our own hate? We end up being the, even though, yes, they may be responsible for creating the enemy. We end up being the ones that are wounded because we hold on to it. It's like Anne Lamott said about unforgiveness. She says it's like eating rat poison and then waiting on the rat to die. You see, you have ran away from the mess they ran into. This is, this is some rich stuff right here. Listen to this. People don't want you to get better unless they get better before you. Have you ever had a group of friends where your life starts to get better, you get a better job, you make a little bit more money, and then they start treating you differently? And they'll even shame you for reaching for better in life. You see, I grew up in a town where if you reach for better in life, you were made fun of because you were trying to keep up with the Joneses. And I've never met those people, by the way. 
<laughs> but you were trying to keep up with some uh, ethereal, fake family called the Joneses. And I'm going, I'm not trying to keep up with somebody. I'm trying to grow up and grow out of where I have been. And somehow or another, I landed in Dixon. You see, people don't want you to get better unless they get better before you. And they will use Christian jargon against you. But I thought you were. And you said that you would always. If you were a Christian, you would. I cannot believe you. Don't, don't you remember when you did this? Right? But see, the thing about an enemy is that the Scripture teaches us that your enemy has to be in proximity of your life if you're ever going to be blessed with them. Now, this is going to get good here, okay? This is some good stuff. Here we go. So, if the table is going to be prepared, and this is the promise, he said, I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. If the table is going to be prepared for you, it will have to be done in their presence. Know God, when he blesses you, hear this, know that when God, when he blesses you, it will be in the vicinity of your enemy. You see, when I am blessed in my life, I did not want to be around the enemy because I did not want the enemy speaking ill of what God was doing in my life. Does that make sense to anybody? I didn't want anybody to say anything negative about what God was doing. And in fact, when Amber and I planted the church, I didn't want anything negative to be thought or even spoken about my life and about my wife. Why? Because even the enemies I created had to watch us plant a church. Y'all with me? And so what do I do with those enemies? And I did, And yes, I understand I did not ask for that enemy, but I did create it. And what do I do with that? How do I respond to that? And God's going, son, if you're ever going to be blessed the way I want to do it, your enemies have to be in proximity to your blessing. I want the blessing without any enemy of mine ever knowing what God is doing and he's going no I'm not going to bless you in their absence I will only bless you in their presence does this make sense is it helping anybody all right now now here's the thing he wants them to watch his grace on your life are you with me he wants them to watch the grace on your life. Not to see, I've always thought, God, why would you bless my enemy? Or why would you bless me in front of my enemy? Won't that make them feel bad? Because if we're honest, we've all got a little bit of I told you so in us. Yeah? We've all got a little bit of that. We've all got a little bit of you had it coming. Yeah? I'm sorry. <laughs> I looked this way, my mother-in-law went. <laughs> my mother-in-law threatens to destroy anybody who says anything bad about her grandchildren and her son-in-law. I don't know how she feels about her daughter. I know exactly how she feels about me, though. I know exactly how she feels about me. <laughs> oh, man, that's good stuff. But see... When he blesses us in front of them, it is not to shame them or make them jealous, but to show them what his goodness and mercy looks like when it runs a person down. 
That's what grace and mercy is for. In the Old Testament, God said, I will prepare a table in the presence of your enemies. I need you to lean in and listen. If you don't get anything else, I need you to get this. He said in the Old Testament, he will do the preparing, right? In the New Testament, he says, now you go prepare a table for your enemies in my presence. Are you with me? How do we do that? We welcome them into our home. We welcome them into our lives. Even the enemies we've created, will they show up? I don't know. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to be open and available to say to the people, even that we've created as our enemies, the table is big enough for everybody. His presence is good enough even for my enemies. And let me say it like this. My enemies are good enough for his presence. Yeah? I want to reiterate this. Notice that when he blesses, he isn't going to do it privately. He's going to do it publicly. He's always going to do it while we are in the vicinity of our enemies. You see, we want to avoid our enemies at all costs. We even try to duck in the, in the aisle of Walmart. We even try to avoid people in restaurants. We go, we, are they in there? I think I saw them. You see them go down the road. And you get that little thing in your stomach of, oh gosh, that was our enemies. But he's saying, listen, I don't want you to avoid them because I'm going to use your life to bless them. You, you, somehow or another, your life harmed them at one point. But now I'm going to flip that script and I'm going to turn that thing around and cause the thing that at one time harmed them to be a blessing in your life and be a blessing in their life. Does that make sense? He's going to make sure that we are in close proximity of the ones that hate us so that we can bless them. Again, not so that we can be haughty or arrogant about the blessing, but so that our lives can be a reflection of his love and grace. God wants them to watch the grace of God on your life and in turn their life be impacted by it. So here's how sin corrupts even the good thing. As I said earlier, we become prideful and we say things like, see, I told you so. But really we, when we should be looking at God and saying, God, thank you that you did not disregard me regardless of the enemies that I created. Thank you that you did not push me aside because of my behavior and my decisions, but in spite of me, you still bless, and now other people are being blessed because of that. When God blesses us, it's never to one-up our enemy. Again, it's so that he can show them what he can do for their lives as well. Now, I've written this little statement down here, and I, 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 it kind of goes along with the last couple of points. God is not concerned with making you arrogant with his blessing. Does that make sense? He's not concerned with making us arrogant. He's not doing it so that we can be better. He's doing it so that we can be a blessing to others. You see, an enemy is just a person who might hate you. An enemy is anybody who may hate on you. They may become jealous of the unfair goodness of God in your life. And as I say at the beginning of the message, rarely do we have spontaneous enemies. We are most often responsible for creating them. But what do you do when you have created the enemy in your life? Because if we're honest, again, 
Most of the enemies we have, we have created. I would dare say if we were to take an actual poll, we could say how many people just had somebody start hating them for one day for no reason? Come on, can somebody shake your head amen or oh me? Either one, right? Rarely do we have those kind of enemies, right? But what do we do with them? Even the ones we've created, what do we do with that? Because you can't make someone love you. You can't make someone forgive you. So what do we do with the enemies we've created? Number one, we repent to our enemy first and then to God. See, this is the hard work of being a Christian. You're actually required to have certain behavior and certain responses to people. And I'll be, you know, Donnie, one of the scriptures that I just don't really care for, bless those who curse you. Never really cared for that one, right? Why? Because it's not in my nature to do that automatically. I have to have Christ's nature in me to fulfill that. So, repent to your enemy first, then to God. Listen, listen, listen. Quit running to God when he told you to go to them. Does that make sense? Facebook isn't repentance. Instagram, I just want to tell everybody that I've ever hurt in my life. Well, you're not telling them. You told everybody but them. Yeah, right? It's a cop-out. It's a cop-out. For obedience. When we run to God and say, God, help me to forgive them, he's going to go, no, I've told you to go to them and forgive them. This is how he teaches us how to do it in Matthew 18. The second thing, Matthew 5, 44, this is the one I told you I don't really care for, pray for your enemy. Pray for the blessing of God on their life. Pray, God, whatever good you've done for me, will you also do it for them? And God, even if it never ends in reconciliation, at least they can be blessed. At least they can know peace. Amen? We have this idea that because we repent to an enemy, that we also have to go to lunch with them. That's not true at all. Repent, do the biblical thing, and then let God take care of the rest, right? We have the responsibility of the first act of obedience, of repentance. And number three, invite them to the table of his presence. I always feel a little weird saying invite them to the table because it, our church is called the table. And so I don't, I don't want to sound a little self-serving there, but the table of his presence. And we'll find this in John 13. I'm going to unpack this story for you. It's not on the slides, but I'm going to unpack this story for you. In John 13, we find the Last Supper. We find where Jesus is sitting with a group of guys that are as messed up and jacked up as everybody in this room, right? We're all a mess in need of a message, amen? So they're all sitting around this table, and you have to understand something about the way this would be set up. These guys would be in a specific order based on who they were. The table in and of itself would be almost like a table here, a table here, and a table here. And based on where these guys are sitting, showed who they were in that room. Now let me share the, the, the cool news here. Peter, the guy on whom Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church. Guess where Peter was sitting? He was sitting adjacent to Jesus in the most dishonorable position at the table. 
Guess where Judas is sitting? He's sitting left of center at the most honorable position at the table. So Jesus is showing us something. The thing that you honor the most may not be the most honorable. And the thing that you dishonor the most is actually needed in your life for a mission. Judas was needed in the life of Jesus to get him to the cross so that you and I could be washed clean by the blood of Jesus. We need our enemies for a greater purpose. But Jesus would teach us how to take care of these enemies. The Bible says, Jesus said, to whom the one I dip and give the sop, that is the one that will betray me. Do you know some Jewish writers will teach that when they took the sop, when Jesus took the sop and dipped it in the wine, he didn't hand it to Judas, he fed it to Judas. Why? Because the goodness of God in our life will even feed our enemies if we treat them right. Your enemy, even the one you created, is your greatest blessing because it will get you to an eternal cause. What eternal cause? Jesus' eternal cause was the salvation of human history, the salvation of mankind. Thank God that you have a Judas in your life. Jesus did not create that Judas, but he still invited him to the table. He still sat down and provided a place for him to eat and be a part of the kingdom. You see, Jesus handled this thing with Judas in the most beautiful way. He didn't condemn his enemy. You know what he said? Hey, bro, that thing you need to go do right now, let's just go ahead and get it over with. In King James, the thing that thou needest to doest, doest thou quickly, right? This is what he's saying. Do it quickly. In other words, this is going to hurt me, but I'm giving you permission to betray me. I'm giving you permission to wound me. And that is the definition, by the way, this is a right-hand turn on the message. That is the definition of vulnerability. Willing to allow yourself to be wounded, to be hurt. But it is in our pain, it is in our rejection, it is in our having our enemies that we grow, that we find the goodness of God, and that we get to belly up to the table of His presence and feast on the good thing of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you a couple of more things about your enemy before we go. Your enemies can push you forward if you handle them as Jesus did Judas. Secondly, even though this is not what we want, I need you to know something about your enemy. They always have a tendency to self-destruct unless they choose healing. Let, how do we know this? Look what Judas did. Judas went, took care of himself, took his own life, and the Bible says his bowels gushed out. What is the revelation there? Eventually, the inside of your enemy will be revealed. The truth will be exposed. 
Repentance will never be enough for an enemy. That's why we repent to them and we give them to God and we move on with our life. And if God chooses to reconcile that, if they choose to reconcile that, praise God. If not, we have done what we were supposed to do with our life. Can somebody say amen to that? Now I want to make sure, oh, I got I to gotta give you this one here. We often ask or even believe or think that God ought to destroy our enemies. And just as he did Judas, he actually wants us to feed our enemies. Jesus raised the bar. Love them as I have loved you. The next thing, and I'll leave you with this. Did you know that your worst enemy is still God's best friend? Let's all stand together today.